You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from Carl Nebbia, a member of our teaching team, as he continues our series on Hosea called Redeeming Love. Why don't we just start with, uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in us uh, as individuals, as a church, Lord, as your people, uh, and Lord, we pray that you would continue that deep and wonderful work uh, today by ministering to us from your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want to start off uh, by wishing all the moms a happy Mother's Day. Uh, I don't do that because you're more important than everybody else or that you're better than everybody else. Even that your calling is the highest calling uh, because actually some of us aren't called to be mothers. Uh, me for one. Uh, but we do want to recognize you for uh, the special love uh, and care and concern uh, that a mother gives, the constant life of giving uh, and serving. And we want to recognize uh, you for that and just say thank you. Every one of us has one, and therefore it's an opportunity for all of us uh, to say thank you to our moms. Uh, And then today we're going to move on with our message on the adulterous woman. Uh, So so we are speaking about the book of Hosea. Uh, One is very timely uh, for us. Uh, Two weeks ago, Julie introduced the subject. She told us how Hosea uh, was a prophet of Israel, uh, that meaning the portion of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, that were a part of ten tribes that split off uh, from the rest of Israel that then became uh, referred to generally as Judah. This happened in the generations uh, shortly thereafter, the days of uh, David. I think it was in in Solomon's children began to to, uh, fight among one another. But anyway, the northern kingdom had uh, ten of the tribes. And as Julie reminded us, the history at that point was that those ten tribes, that group, never had any good kings. Uh, in the southern, uh, the, uh, the, uh, in Judah, there was at least in some cases some good kings and some back and forth and so on. But in Israel, never any good kings at that point. They began to uh, actually to practice uh, idolatry throughout the land of various sorts. Folks a lot on Baal, but uh, other things also. Uh, They did come out of a time kind of of wealth and of satisfaction. But actually during this period, once uh, Jeroboam's son, Jeroboam II, was murdered, uh, in Israel they went through about ten kings in a row who were not uh, kings of uh, the uh, descendant of the previous king, as often is assumed within a royalty, but they were self-appointed And ultimately, each one was then murdered by the next who came along and took power. So this was a desperate time, a bad time uh, in that northern kingdom. And Hosea 1, which Julie read, gives us this historic uh, record of Israel during this time. And interestingly enough, it is said in the third person, meaning it's stated that the Lord God said this to Hosea. The writer is not attached specifically to either, but it's said in third person, 
and it describes the fact that God directed uh, Hosea, a prophet during a, a period of time over many of the kings, uh, to actually marry an adulteress. And that woman, uh, uh, in the end, Hosea, I believe, selects Gomer. Uh, Gomer has three children during their marriage. Uh, they named the first one Jezreel, uh, not because the word Jezreel, uh, the specific word meant something, but that God said that Israel was essentially going to be punished for what was done in Jezreel uh, when many people were slaughtered uh, and so on. And ultimately, Je the Valley of Jezreel will be the place where Israel is defeated. So to get number one child, young boy named Jezreel, not for very good purposes. The second child was named, does anybody remember? Not loved. Okay, second child gets named not loved. The third child gets named not my people. Okay, now, I'm a grandparent, and I've recently gone through some child naming exercises with, with my own children. And I'll tell you, if I were Gomer's parents or I were Hosea's parents, I'd be scratching my heads thinking, what have they done to my angelic little child? You know, they get nine months of going through the name books and they come up with Jezreel, not loved and not my people. What were they thinking? But fortunately, these were things that Hosea responded to God. And ultimately, the chapter ends by saying that ultimately Israel and Judah will be restored. They will be reunited. That the people will be known as the sons of the living God. And ultimately, they will be led by one leader, which we have to assume, once again, is the messianic king coming to lead them. So even though we start off with this bad story, the kids get bad names, ultimately God, in the end, shows this picture of redemption. They're going to be brought back together, and they're going to be led, once again, by the messianic king. Last week, Bill talked from Hosea chapter 2, and the fascinating thing there is that the perspective changes. In this case, we more or less have, have God speaking, but speaking through the eyes of Hosea, talking about the adulterous wife and linking it to Israel's worship of Baal, uh, comparing that to Gomer and her adulterous lovers. And he says in the end that he's going to take her into the wilderness, which Bill then described as a place of growth and learning not a horrible place, not just a, a bad, bad place, but a place that ultimately there is growth and learning that comes about. And in the end, in chapter 2, it says that she will call him her husband and he will call her children, you are loved and you are my people. So once again, we get to the end of chapter 2 and the situation uh, has spoken God has spoken a redemptive message to the people of Israel, saying that in the end, uh, that the wife, the adulterous woman, is going to call her husband my husband, and the children who have these horrible names are going to be renamed, saying that they are loved and that they are his people. So, we get on to chapter 3, and let's see if this works today, yes. It works. We're going on to chapter 3 today. And 
Chapter 3 shifts. Now it's in first person, spoken by Hosea, saying that the Lord said to me. Now, I'm not sure why the, the voice changes uh, in all this, but in this case, it, it changes again, and it says, the Lord said to me. Now, I'm going to give somebody the opportunity to read aloud. Um, are we on here? Yes? Uh, anybody can read? You're a lawyer. You've got to be able to read, right? Just, <laughs> just, just don't, it's already on. Don't add any fancy words. And I just want you, don't, I just want you to read uh, verse 1, the part that's in bold. All right. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the sacred raisin cakes right away, just so everybody, <laughs> just so everybody isn't too distracted. Okay? There are actually some translations that talk about this being like wine. Uh, it's actually, you know, they use completely different words and so on, and then scholars looked at it and said, oh, it's not really wine, it's these sacred raisin cakes. And I think of scones with raisins in them, you know, slathered with, uh, like, you know, what is it, clotted cream, clotted cream. You know, I just think just slathering it, you know, all, all over me if that was socially appropriate, you know. But, uh, but, uh, but you know, the raisin cakes, you know, it just sounds so good. I just want to clarify and get it out of the way. This is like something that was associated with worship, uh, and so on. It was, it was not a great meal, but it was just part of the practice of, of worship uh, during those times and not significant to the rest of the message. So just, uh, if you came here hungry today, just try to push that picture of those, those, the clotted cream on those scones with the rain. Just try to push it out of your mind, okay? So if you came hungry, don't, don't ever do that. Come to church hungry, right? So uh, in this case, it's the thing that fascinated me here is that ch- verse 1 clearly talks about here, uh, Hosea is directed back to love this woman. And that then the Lord says, shows her, to love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. So it's very, very clear that God is drawing out here, you are going through this for the purpose of me dramatizing my relationship with Israel. Now, doesn't that bother you a little bit? I mean, I find that a little bit awkward. Hosea is being directed in his life to do something, to bear heartache, to go through this for the purpose of dramatizing Israel's relationship to God. I find that a little bit difficult. Now, some scholars actually believe he didn't do it at all, that this is more or less a vision that God gave Hosea in the same way that he gave Peter a vision of all the food he should eat as an example to him of how he should be able to relate and help the Gentiles come to believe or the the Gentiles could come to believe. And that in the end, although Peter had that vision, he didn't actually eat that food. So some believe that God didn't really make Hosea 
live like this and go through this heartache. But most scholars believe the opposite, that in fact he was directed, he was called uh, to walk through this as a sign to the people of Israel and that he actually, uh, he actually did it. Now, should we think it's so weird that God would direct the prophet to do something odd like this? I mean, God directed the prophets to do all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, one of my favorites is Ezekiel, where God tells him to take out a sharp sword and to cut off all of his hair and to shave off all of his beard then to divide it up in three parts by equal measure and put that out as a sign to Israel, various things, but to keep a few strands back and to put that hair in his belt and walk around in Israel and all the people are going to understand that the hair in his belt is a sign of the remnant. Now that's weird. (laughs) But as I was praying about it, I thought to myself, God was saying to me, Justin, you need to give this a go. (laughs) (laughs) Thus, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) So, So we shouldn't think it odd that God does weird things through the prophets. He was always using the prophets to send different messages. But I do think... It should grab us a little bit to think this wasn't just cutting off your hair and putting it around town. This was marrying somebody, giving them yourself, your life, your person, your future, your body, your, all your earthly belongings, your heart, and then going through this process. Now, it's a little bit difficult when you read the text, and it sounds as if God is ordering Hosea to go out and marry an adulterous woman. And ultimately here, he's ordering Hosea to go back and love this woman. And I think think we mistake it if we separate Hosea and the reality of his life from this situation and pretend that Hosea was marching like a soldier under orders. I think it's just the way the words come across, but I think the reality is for us to truly understand the nature of Israel to God and God to Israel, we have to see that Hosea loved this woman. That he picked her. Even with God's message, he picked her. And As he goes forward in his life, he struggles with these things. In fact, it says that the first child, Jezreel, was born to him. It doesn't say that about the other two children. So there is some question as to whether the second and third child were actually his at all, but possibly part of this adulterous situation. So here we appear to have the life of Hosea kind of torn open in front of us, God dramatizing his relationship with Israel through this person and through his tragedy. And I think, man, why would he do that? 
then I think to myself, you know, all the great writers in history that have written have taken the human situation, the human condition, and they've dramatized something in order to pull at our hearts, to, to motivate us towards something, to help us to understand the deeper truths that are involved, not just the surface things. And that's what they do. I mean, when John Steinbeck wrote The Grapes of Wrath, he portrayed, he dramatized the life of the migrant workers during the period of the Dust Bowl, and it moved the country. It shocked people to understand how folks were living during that time. And it moved people emotionally. It moved the government. It got so many things changed and done. When we uh, saw, when I first saw the, the miniseries based off the book by Alex Haley, Roots, I mean, that had an impact on our country. It had an impact on our country. For the first time, we portrayed, or the, or the art industry portrayed, slavery reality. And people, let's face it, this is the early 70s, we were shocked. It wasn't anything like any of the stories we had seen before. It was shocking. If you ever, there's a documentary recently on PBS about the making of Roots, and uh, some of the actors talk about the struggles that they went through. And they actually picked a number of the white actors because they were sympathetic characters that America already knew, and they didn't want to be too inflammatory. So they took Edward Asner. Here he was, Mary Tyler Moore, you know, that kind of stuff. He made him the, the ship captain. But part of it was they selected them in order that people were sympathetic. They felt toward them. So dramatization like this is a common thing. Now, I, for one, I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a weeper. Okay, I, I am, okay? I'll give you that. Bill, a little bit too, probably not as blubbery as me. But anyway, I mean, how many of you have ever gone to a movie and you get there at that critical point and you're having to, you know, scratch the side of your face or you're having to do whatever, you're holding your eyes like this in hopes that, <laughs> that nothing, you know, the tears are not going to run. How many have ever done that? So most of you, right? Right. So I'm going to give you a chance today. I would like, Sam... Here's your, here's, I always give you a chance, don't I? What, what movie have you seen that brought you to tears? Gosh. Um, there's no right, there's not a right I, answer here. I, I'm, there's, I can't really think of a movie. Oh, I'm, man. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm not a Didn't cry. Did you ever see The Dirty Dozen? That's true. Jim That's Brown true. runs the court, across the court. I know, with the grenades throwing. The, oh, and he's getting right. gunned down. You, I know. you can't help but cry. Right. Okay, okay. Okay, Justin, here's your chance. Any, any, uh, and don't tell me Frozen. Come on. Uh, probably The Passion of the Christ. Oh, man. Okay, who gave him that answer? Come on. Okay, Rick, I know you, you, you get weepy once in a while, right? So what's, what's the movie that kind of... Well, recently, yeah. recently I saw, uh, even though the language is kind of bad, but it was, it was an interesting story I saw. You like it, Silver Linings Playbook with Robert uh, De Niro about the okay. Eagles and how this dysfunctional family... Oh, right, <laughs> the Eagles. But, but really, it's a love story. And the woman that trains this guy to dance, and he's, already, he's having marriage problems... Initially, and she, I 
came in late, but... Okay, well, you don't have to go through the whole well, story, Rex. Right <laughs> well, I was... Well, anyway, it was, it was a tearjerker. It was a love story. Okay, we'll let you speak next week. So my, my favorite movie, the one that's really the hardest on me, some of you are too young, but Old Yeller. Any of you see Old Yeller? Oh, oh. You know, and the, the great thing about Old Yeller, Old Yeller is not a story about a dog. It's not a story about a dog. It's not even a story about a dog and his boy or a boy and his dog. It's a story about the older brother. The older brother has to take over when his father goes out hunting or whatever for a long period of time. And when that dog gets sick, it's the older brother that has to deal with it. Man, I could see that a hundred times. Even, even when the, you know, the VHS tape starts getting raggedy and stuff, I could, I could watch that and still burst out weeping. But that's, that's what dramatization is meant to do. It's meant to draw you in to the personal relationships that it's talking about. In this case, it's critical, I think, to get past the idea that this was a vision. It's critical to see this was Hosea's life and what he was going through. I believe Hosea loved this woman. And in fact, we're reading this over three chapters. Julie's and mine are very short. Bill's is a little bit longer. But anyway, you could read these three chapters in a period of, let's say, ten minutes. And you don't get the sense of what Hosea was going through. He had at least three children during the time of those first three chapters. In fact, he had them in the first chapter. At least three children. So it's at least three years, let's say, that this was going on. This was not Hosea prophesied over a long period of time, over many kings. This was being dragged out in the streets. Hosea was a prophet of Israel married to a woman who was running around, clearly, publicly known to Israel. This was a shame to him but a greater hurt, and then he loved her. That he married her, that he had children, or at least one child, with her. This was his life. And the interest, this is kind of a weird picture, but anyway, Hosea, Hosea was a public figure, okay? So if there were tabloids in those days, you know, this is what's happening. Hosea, the prophet of Israel that everybody's supposed to listen to, this is what's going on in his life. Okay? This is what's going on in his life. So I think it's very important for us to fully understand and to relate to and to grasp what was happening with the people of Israel. You have to grasp how it was impacting Homer, or Hosea, excuse me. He was hurting. He had been betrayed. He had been rejected. And at least for most of us, uh, the idea of loving someone is a very important thing. And the idea that that person that you've poured yourself out for, that you've given yourself over to, that you've committed all your earthly uh, belongings, that you have children with, rejects you and betrays you is a deep and personal and hurting thing. 
And I believe that God wants us to understand how big a thing it was when he reached out to Israel. He loved Israel. He called Israel. He brought Israel, first of all, he brought Abraham uh, out of the, the Chaldees, brought it into, into the promised land. Later, he took the family into Egypt when there was a famine, and he saved the family there through, through Joseph. Then through Moses, he brings the people of Israel out. Through the, he opens the Red Sea. He brings manna. He does all of these things. He protects them and helps them in battle. He does all these things for them, brings them into the promised land, and they turn to idolatry. First of all, with the calf, when Moses took a little bit too long up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. But then they go on, and I've got a few pictures here of some of the various kinds of idols. And Romans here, I think, puts it really well. For although they knew their God, or they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. The one up on the top left is an uh, Asherah, I believe is the the proper name for that. These were often baked in the oven like a bread. Well, here's the almighty God brings you through the Red Sea and you're going to replace him with a piece of bread you made yourself. Okay, the one on the right is Baal. Of course, we talked a little bit about him before, supposedly going to bring about um, all of those good things, the bounty and the blessings I think Bill talked about uh, last week. The one in the middle is Moloch, uh, not specifically mentioned here, but became a significant part of the worship of the people throughout the Middle East and the Israelites also. And this is the God that they frequently sacrifice children to. So this is what Israel, when we look at the struggle that Hosea is going through, we have to relate it to, to it's, it's a real struggle of love. What is he going to do? How is he going to love this person? God commands him to love him. But this is a picture of God and Israel. Now, if God can be hurt, this is the picture of it. If God can be disappointed, this is a picture of it. If he can sense rejection, this is a picture of it. And that's why God uses the dramatization to help man understand God, who is difficult to picture, difficult to see, but to understand the nature of God through the reality of human experience. That's, that's what he does. That's how he does it. He creates that. So we're going to move on to the next verse. Bill, if I could uh, get you to read this one. Just number two. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Thank you. So here is Hosea. God has pointed him back. I believe um, while he puts it in the terms that the Lord said to me and go and do this, uh, I believe we often say that about things when we sense a leading from God. So it may mean God actually spoke and said to him. 
It may mean that he sensed God was moving in him with all the struggles and all the jealousies and everything else he had and said, you go love this woman, and he was moved uh, to do it. Now, uh, I'd like to ask, just to raise of hands, uh, how many of you men felt led to marry the women that you're uh, married to? No, uh, no, oh, that, that was a trick question. Uh, it's, that, that's a question that you, you can't answer properly. If you say, yes, I felt led to do it, the woman looks at you and says, is there something wrong with me? You know, you had to wait for God to tell you to go. And if you say, no, I wasn't led to do it, then oh, man, this now we're really in trouble. Okay? But in this case, he, he speaks as if God is telling him this. And I don't know whether it was a, a verbal speaking or he sends God showing him to do this. But he goes back. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And he gets to this situation where he walks through town he goes to this house, and he knocks on the door, and the guy shows up. And I have to admit, Bill stuck this idea in my mind, and I just was not able to get rid of it in two weeks, so I'm going to speak about it. But the guy opens the door, and Hosea comes. He says, um, I want my wife back. And, you know, this guy closes the door behind himself, He's got a smirk on his face, probably, you know, uh, played by one of those smirky characters they have now from 80s and 90s and afterward movies, you know, that everybody has, um, you know. And he smirks at him and he says, I'm sorry, but she, she doesn't want to go back. And Hosea says, well, I, I, I want her back. I love her. I want her back. And the guy says, I'm, I'm sorry. And you know, probably Gomer opens the door at some point. He pulls it closed again. Says, I'm sorry, but she's not, she's not going back. This is where she belongs now. And Homer says, or Hosea, why can't they keep Homer and Gomer? Um, <laughs> Hosea says, no, she needs, she's my wife. I want her to come back. And then the guy says, well, how about for 30 shekels? So the, the guy who Gomer had given herself to is, you know, gives up her life, gives up her home, gives up her children. The guy she gives it to is willing to sell her back for 30 shekels. And Hosea says, well, I got 15, and I got some barley, a lethic, which Bill can explain to us in another, another teaching, what a lethic is, but, but um, he says, I've got this. Is this good enough? And the guy says yes. Now, 30 shekels was actually the rate that was given for the sale of a slave. Okay? And very possibly, Gomer had become this person's slave. Uh, I don't know. But certainly, he did not love her. And Hosea takes her back, paid for with this price. It's again very similar to the idea that due to our own sin, Christ comes and pays a very, very dear price for us. He came, he gave his life for us that we could be freed from sin and death. And, and Hosea acts this out by paying a price to get his wife back.
Sir. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. So in taking Gomer back, Hosea tells her, this says actually, the words say you're going to live, it says in the scriptures, uh, the original words, you're going to abide. And abide doesn't mean live with me in the normal husband and wife form. It just means being there, being separated, being kind of set aside. And once again, here God is showing through this example what Israel is about to go through. They are going to be taken away. They're going to be separated. They're going to have no king any longer for a long, long period of time. An amazing thing was about to happen to this people. They were going to be hauled away, in fact, never to return in the same form, But one of the beautiful things that happens is never do they return to idolatry, even after they come out of captivity. They don't return to idolatry. But God is saying there's going to be this period of time. Maybe that period of time is still going on today, that the Jews have no king. But he promises again in in verse 5, and let me go ahead and, and switch that, that in the end, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David their king. We all know that the King David in the the long term is a reference to the Messianic king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So once again, we go through this cycle, this picture. God loves, Hosea loves. Israel turns away, rebels, rejects God, serves other gods made with human hands. Uh, Gomer turns away and chases after somebody willing to sell her for 30 shekels. And ultimately, at the end of all of these chapters, it comes back to that the people, Judah and Israel, are going to be reunited, uh, that they are going to call the Lord their husband, and that they're going to become loved again and his people And ultimately, the Israelites will seek their God uh, and come trembling to him, to his blessings in the last days, the latter days or the end of times. Okay, we believe this is the message to all of Israel, that this is where they're headed. This is what God wants. He wants to come back and express his love fully to them and to capture them and bring them in uh, and so on. Now, this is, to me, this is interesting Uh, that God went through, as I talked about in the beginning, he went through this process of dramatizing through Hosea's life what he wanted Israel to see. But hasn't he done the same thing for us through Israel? I mean, he's created a relationship with the people of Israel as an example, as a dramatization of the life for us, that we could see 
God's love and care, the fact that he, he passionately loves Israel, that Israel rejects him, and that ultimately his desire is the reconciliation, the redemption of those people. So he creates this circle in a circle in a circle. Uh, Hosea is an example to Israel. Israel is an example to us. And in fact, in, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 9, and I think Bill mentioned this uh, briefly last week also. Uh, let me find that quickly. Um, Paul, uh, in working through a number of things about God's mercy, finally mentions Hosea. And I think one could argue maybe Hosea didn't really even belong in the Bible. It's that kind of story. But Paul mentioned it, so it was clearly accepted by the Jewish people as canon of Scripture. And he says, he says, uh, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. So Paul recognized that the picture of Hosea was created to dramatize what was happening in Israel for all of us ultimately to learn, to learn and to grasp the passion, the hurt, the struggle, the rejection, all of those things, uh, the betrayal, all of those things, and yet God loves us. He loved Israel. He's given us an example to show us that he loves us. Psalm 93 says, He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God that Israel could see through the redemption of Gomer in Hosea's life, uh, we can see in the redemption of Israel for our own lives the salvation of God. Amen. He is a faithful, faithful God. Just move. He is a faithful, faithful God who does not turn away from our struggle, from our rejection, uh, from the petty things that we search after, but he does love us, and he keeps coming back uh, to redeem our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's Located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love him, follow him, to learn from him, to let him lead us and change our lives. We are his disciples, and he is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.